If you like movies and I'm here to say, then this is the show for you, okay? It's called the best movie to Jamie Allentone, so don't touch that down, turn on your phone. Grab a sweet song, mix of popping corn, from Rosebud to Lavender to Jason Bourne, Mel Street to Kirk Russell to Dennis Hopper. And don't forget, y'all. This is the chopper! Hello and welcome to the Best Movie 2 pod, the podcast that tells you the best movie to watch in any given situation. For example, the best movie to watch if your train has been cancelled through strikes is probably one from the Harry Potter series because it could be worse. You could get stuck with a little nerd and a know-it-all. It's good stuff. Our guest today is comedian Richard Spaulding <laughs> and uh, also my ex-housemate. Richard, how are you? Hello, I'm good. That makes it sound like something terrible happened between us. <laughs> when you introduce yourself to people, <laughs> do you introduce yourself as a comedian or ex? Jamie Allerton's former housemate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how you... that's the only that's how people know me. It probably and that, that's sadly true, as I think <laughs> there are quite a lot of comedians who think of me as Jamie Allerton's housemate, and they're like, "Oh, you do comedy as well?" Yes, yes, I do. How do you think we met? Uh... Richard, every week we ask our guests to have a look at the IMDb Top 100 just to gauge where they are film-wise. So how many of the IMDb Top 100 have you seen? So I think it's 36 and a half. (laughs) Um, I'm including the three Star Wars films, which I'm I'm sure I saw as a kid but don't remember, and half of Fight Club, which I watched on a plane. Um, But I was sat in between like an old couple and you know, there's a scene. There's quite a long sex scene in the middle, and I got really embarrassed and turned it off. And I've never watched the end. Um, so thirty-six and a half is my number. So do you know what happens in the end of Fight Club? Oh yeah, I've I've read the book and kept up with pop culture for the last twenty years, <laughs> so I'm aware. But oh well, um, okay, I just never. <laughs> I was going to say the ending. I was like, well, yeah, no need to go back, is there really? There's I also assume nothing changes. There's quite a long plane crash. In Fight Club as well. Did you get up to that while while you had the no the elderly people watching? It, it probably wasn't even. Does that happen in the first half? Yeah, it's it's pretty early on. He's dreaming about having a plane crash. Oh, uh, I probably did then. I mean, clearly it's not made a huge impact on me apart from the long sex scene. That is the only thing I remember. And meatloaf's boobs. <laughs> did you just keep watching the long sex scene over and over again? Was that what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the stewardess came over and was like, you need to stop doing this, the old couple are upset. <laughs> and also stop rewinding to the plane crash bit and going, this is the camera outside. <laughs> they should have put a sex scene in this bit. That's what I kept shouting. Yeah. Uh, so while you've been looking at the IMDb Top 100, I've just had a, a couple of questions for you. Um, you're, okay. you're obviously well known on the circuit as a nice boy uh, on the comedy circuit, which means you'll inevitably be right. outed as some kind of creep. But um, what any day now? <laughs> Clock's ticking. If you could change the protagonist of any of them films and add a, a nice boy like Richard Spaulding, what film do you think would be improved with just a just a good chap? Ooh. Um. Oh, I mean, straight in at number two, wouldn't The Godfather be good if he was just a really <laughs> nice boy? You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. That's fine. Don't worry. What do you need? No, no you don't have to get me back. That's not a problem. Don't worry about it. I've put a picture of a um, horse's head be... in his bed. <laughs> the horse is still attached to the head, by the way. I should make that clear. It's just a really nice horse that I saw. <laughs> you had a lovely nap. Um... <laughs> to be fair, quite a lot of them. There's some nice boys on, like Shawshank Redemption. Uh, well, I mean, they've done some bad things, but they're nice boys all round. Well, it depends what character. The Dark Knight. <laughs> but... Batman's a good guy. 
Schindler's List, your ultimate nice guy. Which character are you talking about in Schindler's List? Hitler. <laughs> right? He's oh, a good guy. <laughs> We're recording this, Rich. <laughs> oh, shit, really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we've gone for a unique, um, you know, income method. So some do patrons and do adverts. We just use blackmail. So we get comedians <laughs> on, get them to say incredibly libelous <laughs> stuff and then charge them at the end. It's worked very well so far. Yeah. If, if anything, coming out in support of Hitler would probably do wonders for my comedy career at this point. <laughs> um, and also, due, due to the success of uh, last week's discussion on the film Congo, if you could add 10 mm-hmm. angry apes to any of them films, so all the characters stay in place, but you're just throwing 10 angry apes into the situation. Mm-hmm. Which... And do you add it to the title as well? So would it be like <laughs> Forrest Gump and 10 angry apes? It's up to you. The good, the bad, the ugly, and 10 <laughs> angry apes. Well... 12 angry um, men and 10 angry apes. <laughs> I wonder how much of a difference it would make in Saving Private Ryan <laughs> in the opening scenes <laughs> if there were 10 angry and armed apes. Like, genuinely, do you think, do you think that would have changed the outcome? I'm just imagining, an, would they also... an, imagining an ape on the beach looking for its ape arm on the ground <laughs> just confused by war i love the smell of apalm in the morning <laughs> there would be a moment when when they were storming the beaches and the enemy were firing when they went hang on a second, is that are those and that would buy you three to four seconds i reckon well maybe that's what they should have done the allies is dressed a bunch of guys in ape costumes or even I mean, it would have worked as well as anything else i think what what warhorse tells us is that you know soldiers on both sides won't shoot if it's an injured animal so if they got like those horse costumes that you have at plays you got one soldier yeah, in the yeah. back one soldier in the front everyone's <laughs> like we're not going to shoot that horse with shoes on until it gets close enough that they're like that nice. horse has got a zip down the middle boom two guys pop out there we go guns in each hand the war's over perfect and it's twice as many as you expect because there's two soldiers per horse exactly so you'd be like it's a thousand horses we can deal with that. Holy shit, it's 2,000 men. Yeah, I mean, they should... Or just one of them, and it's the the, it's the least ambitious Trojan horse. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a horse. Oh, no, it's two men. Two men who've already been shot do? in the war. <laughs> it's two injured men. <laughs> okay. I think old films aren't that good, but because it's 70 years old, people are like, oh, yeah, that's a really good film, because... If I say that I've watched it, people will think I know what I'm talking about. I think I'm it's, talking to you, Jamie. If an old <laughs> if an old film is good enough, they'll remake it. Exactly, they'll make it again and worse. Like that's how we know Jurassic Park, the old film, was good because they've remade it five times. Yeah, um, exactly. Think how good Spider Man was originally. They've made that over and over again. Yeah, and he's a... so it's a great film. One of the main things that I do remember from Living with You is. He's watching films with you, and you, because you're you you know you keep up a quite a cynical um, outer shell. You make jokes a lot, but then sometimes you'd watch a film and you'd have this kind of childlike innocence, and you'd become no offense a bit of a wanker. Because <laughs> I remember, oh, when, when we, we watched watching... my mum and dad's wedding video. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were watching Midsummer great film um and about 15 minutes in we'd all been sitting enjoying it and you turned and just went i love how passive the camera work is <laughs> and i saw a side to you there that i've never seen before or since 
Because you were deadly serious. Do you know, one of the worst things I ever actually did that goes along like the film wankery lines is me and my friend were watching a uh, a blag copy of John Wick before it came out over here, the first John Wick. And it was it was really dark, and the very first action scene is all in silhouette. And I turned to my friend and I went, "Oh, oh my god, this is like a you know German expressionism. This is really bold of them to do in like a mid range blockbuster movie to have the whole fight scene in silhouette." And then uh, we had a check, and the brightness was down. We just hadn't turned <laughs> the brightness up. And then when we turned the brightness up, it was like a normal film. <laughs> <laughs> and then throughout the film, my friend just kept turning to me going, is this German expressionism, Jamie? What about this? <laughs> oh, it's sad because you, you were reaching out. There's a moment of connection. And then... <laughs> but then that, that, actually, that actually ties into what we're going to discuss today. Um, because we're going to talk yeah. about the best movie to have a hidden meaning. And so it's all about subtext within movies. And we come from two very... Uh, different angles on this because <laughs> this episode was inspired by yeah. when we watched uh, Aliens together and after Aliens finished I turned to you and said that was about the Vietnam War and you were very angry yeah. at me <laughs> at that time yeah, I was I was furious and rightly so I think <laughs> if you kind of make a war a, a film about the war in Vietnam rule one set it in Vietnam during the war I'd have said <laughs> why, why make it in space doesn't make any sense it's and the the other annoying thing is that because we watched a lot of films there wasn't a lot to do during lockdown you showed me a lot of films and one out of every four you'd turn to me afterwards and go that was about the vietnam war and it never was <laughs> it never was <laughs> platoon apocalypse now none of them not not one of them was actually about it <laughs> no no but that's the thing we'd then watch one of those and it would be like oh that's about um space like that's about man's fear of space or something. It's like, but it isn't. It's about the Vietnam War. <laughs> well, At least give me that one. Yeah, I, there's something about... I, the rule that I I sort of think... I don't know if I agree with my own rule on this, actually. Now I'm about to say it. Um, I I feel like if the director came out at the start of the film and said, <laughs> this is what the film's really about, would it make the film better or worse? Because if it doesn't make it better, then that's not what it's about. So if the like the the thing was another one. That's the one that's about AIDS, right? Uh, yeah, AIDS or um, also communist panic. Yes, and Vietnam, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like if if at the start of the thing the director walked out and addressed the the crowd uh, audience, whatever <laughs> you call them, and went, "This film is sort of allegorical. It's kind of about the AIDS panic in the eighties." And then you watch the film, I think that would make the film better. But there are other films where if you walked out of the start and you said, This is what it's really about, you'd be like, Oh, is it? And then it would start, you'd be like, Oh, yeah, I can see what you've done there, but you've made the film worse by saying that. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. But if it, if it made it worse, then that's not really what the film's about. <laughs> you, have to, you have to go in knowing what it's about. So, and that improved the film for it to be about something else. What about blatant subtext? Are you happy with blatant subtext? Like, have you seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. Okay, so that uh, is... How, how blatant was the, the subtext in that? That is I, blatantly about racism and segregation. <laughs> Did you not pick up is on it? the fact that 
the toons are treated differently as second-class citizens. They're made to live in uh, their own area. They can only get like decent jobs in the entertainment industry. They're not allowed to work in any other industries. Mm-hmm. And Judge Doom, at one point, he wanted to plow through uh, Toontown to build uh, a freeway, which would be kind of a, a metaphor for gentrification. I, I didn't get that, but in my defense, I watched it when I was 12. <laughs> and I think... A, a metaphor for gentrification would have been well over my head at that point, even if the director of Roger Rabbit, who I think was Roger Rabbit, if he had come out at the start and said, what's up, folks, this film is actually about racism, I think I still wouldn't have got it. But I can see, I see what you mean. There's a, there's a subtext there. That I, I, yeah, I, I don't mind that one. Yeah, because have you seen Click with Adam Sandler? I thought I'd start off with some easy subtext movies. Clickers uh, where Adam Sandler gets given a remote control to choose which parts of his life he can fast forward, rewind, but starts to pick up on his behaviour. So when he fast forwards through a conversation with his wife, it decides, oh, you don't like spending time with your wife, to the point that he flies through his life because it 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 picks up that he only pays attention to when he's having like business meetings. So it skims through most of his life on autopilot. And the subtext there is that it's about the Vietnam War. Um, no, <laughs> it's all about how you know you shouldn't live your life on autopilot. Don't lose your connections to family, uh, and don't you know focus on business. Are you happy yeah, with okay, that? That's fine. I, I don't. I'm happy with that one. I don't mind if there's like a little. There's a message to the film. Fine, because that film is also about Adam Sandler's magic remote control. <laughs> it's. That's that is a big part of the film, and it's also saying. But here's the message of the film: it's not going. Here's a thing that's happening to Adam Sandler in, I guess, the early two thousands. Uh, it's an allegory for the American Civil War, uh, even though the American Civil War is not mentioned or referenced at any point during the hour and a half. That <laughs> that's what annoys me. I, I think it would be bolder if it was about Adam Sandler's life, because if. If Adam Sandler was saying people were coming up to him and saying, you need to take less time on your work at a time when he was consistently producing the worst <laughs> movies that have ever really been committed to cinema. That's, it's not really the problem he was facing. Yeah. Oh, what if Click is about Jack and Jill? <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's a big risk to take in an Adam Sandler movie of that time to remind people that Fast Forward exists. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that is that's taking a big risk on the director's part. We're going to drop down another level here where it's not it's not as okay. like uh, it's not as blatant, but also it's it's fairly obvious. Um, Spider Man is an allegory for puberty, for going through puberty, because uh, as you know, when we all go through uh, puberty, cause... our uncle dies. Yes, and jizz comes out your wrists. <laughs> yeah, classic. So his body changes in ways he doesn't really understand. Uh, he has to take on more responsibilities, becoming a man. Uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. in the in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man's, a sticky liquid is produced from his wrists um, at uncomfortable times. Right. Are you okay yeah, with that? Okay. I, I, I like that the format of the episode now is, is Richard okay with the subtext of a film? <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah, that's fine. But that's not what the film's about. The film is about Spider-Man, a man who gets bitten by a spider. And swings about in the city. It, you could you could look at it and go, oh, he's also in this scene making a point about puberty. 
But that's not the film's not about puberty. The film is about a man being bitten by a spider and fighting a green goblin. That's what the film is about. But then if you, uh, let's say you're a teenager who's struggling with puberty, uh, mm-hmm. do you not think it's quite reassuring to see not only a superhero movie, but someone who's coping with the same issues as you, a.k.a. Come, coming out your wrists? <laughs> I mean, if I were aware of the subtext behind Spider-Man, if, I, if it was me making a film about the experience of going through puberty, it would have been very, very different. It would have been a man desperately trying to get bitten by a radioactive spider and <laughs> nothing happening until he was 18 years old. And then even then, not being able to tell anyone that he'd been bitten by a radioactive spider because everyone was like, yeah, yeah, we all got bitten by a radioactive spider years ago. What are you talking about? And it wasn't the most radioactive spider. It was like one that had been next to a battery. Yeah, yeah. It was very slow, <laughs> slow and steady radioactive. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, stuff was coming out of my wrists, but everyone else had been... They'd learned to control the webs. <laughs> I was still very controlled by the webs. <laughs> and why does the kingpin make me have webs come out my wrists when everyone else has moved on to more normal things? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, I, I like, sure, there's a little bit of subtext there. I'll allow it, but I don't like it. <laughs> All right, so I think you... Because you're starting to become a pro on subtext in movies now. Uh, we're going to go through a couple that uh, different sources have said that this film is actually about something else. I'm just going to see mm-hmm. if you can guess what the subtext of the film is. All right, Richard, what do you think E.T. is about? E.T., the extraterrestrial. Okay, so he's an alien who comes... <laughs> in my head, that was about to say, he's an alien who comes from the moon. I don't know where he comes from, is it? Where does he come from? It's he's from space. space. The moon. And he he lands in America. A little boy picks him up, puts him in a garage for a bit. <laughs> is that what happens? And then, and then the police Put him in a garage. Him. Yeah, that happens, doesn't it? They put him in, he's in a garage. And then he, he wraps him in a shawl, puts him on a bike, and then he flies to the moon. He goes behind the moon. <laughs> for a bit on a bike uh and then et goes home what's that about um how we should befriend the elderly i think (laughs) right how little boys (laughs) should befriend old men and keep a secret from their parents be be nice to your grandma that's the the message of (laughs) et so et is uh the story of jesus um (laughs) how how is that the story of jesus so his his first sentence that he says is be good which sums up the entire sermon on the mount in two words he has an ability to heal people he dies and is resurrected and then has his ascension which in his case is he goes back up into space which you know is an allegory for heaven right and and i guess he's persecuted isn't he by the (laughs) army yeah, there we go. Yeah, I mean, again, no, that's not what it's about at all. <laughs> well, there's... That sounds like, to me, a coincidence, if anything. There's a deleted scene where he makes all the little boys eat his flesh and drink his blood. Uh, which, <laughs> But that's the thing, you can. I feel like in any film you can pick bits and go, oh, this is a bit like this story, or this is a bit like that. But what about all of the rest of the film? Like, what about his finger glowing? What does that represent? 
why does he keep wanting to phone home? Is that him, like Jesus talking to God? What is? What is? Why is he on a bike? Why is he in a shawl? Well, no, hang on. Why hang is he on. in a garage? Why has any of that got to do with? Right, uh, Mark two fifteen, and then he rode the bike across the moon. It's about Jesus riding his bike <laughs> across the front of the moon. So don't come out a Catholic right. with these questions. Would it wind you up even <laughs> further if I told you that RoboCop is about Jesus? Yeah, of course it would, and you know it would. That's why you're saying it. Is is Robocop Jesus in this? Well, you have his crucifixion scene. He's murdered at the start of the film. Uh, He's resurrected. He becomes a saviour. You know, and he he does... They purposely show him walking across water at the end. Well, it's a puddle, but... Right. The the idea (laughs) being... The question I ask is, what if Jesus was American? You know, then he would be uh, owned by corporations he would be happy to murder um that's the subtext there mm. <laughs> i can see how angry you are is it <laughs> but then again why is he a robot cop <laughs> what has that got to do with the story of jesus because if, if jesus he and he's not crucified at any point does he die and come back to life yeah he's... or is he like invincible or something it's like one of the uh most famous uh kill scenes in any movies he's, he's shot by you know, he's shot by doubters around him who 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 doubt that he would stay alive the next 30 seconds. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, Robocop, he gets killed and then resurrected as Robocop. Is that the thing? Yeah. Would you prefer if he was killed and just comes back as Jesus? No, I'd prefer it if it was set in Nazareth <laughs> in the year zero. And Jesus was killed, and then he, and then Jesus himself was turned into RoboCop. Then I'd be like, okay, this is about what if Jesus was RoboCop? That's a more interesting film. Well, that would be better because they wouldn't understand that level of technology as well. Oh yeah, they'd be so confused. Okay, and before we leave the subject of RoboCop, do you think RoboCop has a penis? Mm. Uh, does RoboCop? Yes, and I think it's a, a human penis. I don't think it's a <laughs> robot penis. I think it's a little tiny little <laughs> tiny little penis dangling away behind his sort of metal pants. And when he's killing people he gets a little erection. That's what I think. And what would that be a metaphor for though? That would be uh well because it's about Jesus. Um <laughs> I guess that would be um if you if you make Jesus into a robot cop, he will get a boner about it. That's <laughs> That's the message. Jesus, deep down, really was it just like all of us, a little guy with a little willy who loved murdering people. Is that the whole Jesus thing? Is that why when the guy falls off the building, his arms are so long? Because it's like the crucifix. Yeah, it's the reverse crucifix. Is that the reason? Okay. Yeah, it all makes sense. This is a film that I watched with you over lockdown. The Fly. Mm-hmm. David Cronenberg's The Fly. What do you think The Fly is about? Oh, yeah. Okay, so this one... If I'm right about what it's about, because I'll probably go into my explanation, and you'll be like, "No, no, no, it's World War Two." That's about. But um, I assume it's about body modification and plastic surgery and wanting to change yourself into. I don't know, not a fly specifically, but that if you want to try and mess with science to improve yourself, you might end up dying. Close. The fly is about terminal illness. So it's yeah, about watching the same thing then, right? Yeah. <laughs> watching a loved one as they kind of fall apart and their body lets them down and they deteriorate. 
Um, and so you're telling me it's got nothing to do with plastic surgery, that film? Well, that's a great thing about subtext. You can read into that and then you can pass that on to someone else and say, I watch this film, that's a allegory for plastic surgery and body modification. It's the flight and just hope that they're not a film student. Yeah, see, this is the problem with subtext. If if at the end I can say, is this what it's about? And you could go, yeah, if you want it to be, then that's why it's bad. You can't just say about a film, well, this is the great thing about subtext, is you can just fucking make it up. <laughs> you can just make up what you think that film was about. And yeah, you're right. You can read anything into anything pretty much. When I was at university, I don't want to brag, but I went to university and uh, I studied film. One of our lecturers, uh, he pointed out the story from Jaws. Have you seen Jaws? Yeah, I've seen Jaws. Okay, so you know Jaws is really about the Vietnam War, but the uh, the the start of Jaws, <laughs> <laughs> the very start of Jaws, it's got a couple who are flirting and they run along a fence to get to the beach, right? So they, they run along this fence and the fence, it starts out like really nice and painted and as they get further and further to the sea, the fence becomes like more bashed and gnarled uh, and damaged and a lot of uh, film scholars interpreted this as our, like our Spielberg's, the point that he's making is that uh, the sea, which represents the unknown, um, you know, it, it's dangerous and that danger is amplified by how this fence has become a more, uh, more messed up. And then Spielberg actually heard about this and he, he came out in an interview and said, no, we just filmed next to that fence. That's uh, an absolute dream for me is when somebody comes up with a really fancy theory about something and the guy who made it is just like, no, 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 that was just, it was a budget thing. Like, the reason that guy's trousers were torn was because he tore his trousers earlier on in the day. Like, there's, there's no hidden message behind it. <laughs> and I always, any, any theory that has uh, something representing something else, like the sea represents the unknown and the shark represents i don't know like stalin or whatever <laughs> then that's that's where i lose interest when something's supposed to represent something else because they never do robocop isn't jesus jaws the shark is he called jaws uh jaws smith jaws smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah jaws smith isn't stalin he's a shark i'll just go through one more that we watched together because this was one that you were particularly angry about um, when we watched Drag okay. Me to Hell, and then I told you that it was about eating disorders, I think that's the yeah. worst I've seen you. In t if you haven't seen Drag Me to Hell, it's a horror movie by uh, Sam Raimi. Uh, it's about a girl who uh, gets uh, a curse put on her because she rejects uh, someone's uh, mortgage loan. But throughout, this very subtle hint that she used to have an eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because it's not, though, is it? That's the thing. It's not about that at all. It's, I mean, there are, yeah, there are very, very subtle hints at points. Like, there's something like, was it she's, someone's sick of her and then the sick disappears or something? It, it sounded, when you explained it to me, it sounded more like bad editing that they had to <laughs> find the reason for right at the end. That's like, oh, no, no, no. The reason why every time someone, like, gets her clothes dirty, it disappears is because. It represents her trying to hide her eating because it's not about an eating disorder. It's about a woman getting dragged to hell. The clues in the title. Well, we're not spoiling the movie for people. Jesus, Rich. Um, no. Okay. Well, I mean, she doesn't get dragged to hell until right at the end. But um, I can confirm she gets dragged to hell. Have you not seen it? But as she's getting dragged to hell, she does shout out to her boyfriend, Justin Long. This was all about me having an eating disorder. <laughs> yeah, she does. Which then she shouts. 
this is a this is a metaphor for my believer Justin Long. That's what's happening. And those are the final words of the film. Um, it could like it, yeah, sure. And sort of maybe there are bits that could be read as being about eating disorders, but the film isn't about. Otherwise, every bit of it would have to, in some way, represent eating disorders. And I think there's a bit where like a man gets possessed by an old ghost, and he does a like a dance on a table. But what's that got to do with eating disorders? Complex carbs. How do you explain that bit? Yeah, fair enough. Actually, it's all yeah. it's all piecing together. There we go. Good point. <laughs> the goat is bread. Him dancing is actually yeah. an inverse of your inability to move much once you've had complex carbohydrates. Seeing, and she's scared of it because it's complex carbohydrates. Exactly, and she's got an unspecified eating disorder. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Now this, again, hearing this back, I know that I was just joking, but I feel like that is the kind of bullshit that I would have said whilst we lived together. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 100% is. <laughs> I'm actually really embarrassed about the, uh, look how passive the camera is, isn't it? <laughs> it was a wonderful moment. Because yeah. <laughs> it was so earnest as well. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the sad thing is, is that it was a good point. The camera work was very passive, and I learned what that meant... And there were probably great reasons for it, but because we were three male comedians in their early 30s living together, we just laughed at you, and then you never sort of ventured any of your quite well-founded opinions ever again. Yeah, I cried myself to sleep that night. Lesson, don't be vulnerable. And that's your fault. <laughs> there we go. And I, I haven't read subtext into any film since, to be fair. No. And that's a victory for me. This is a weird one this week, Richie, because we're I think I feel like we're coming towards the end. Um and this is the first time that someone has been uh so negative uh about the the subject and yet we have to uh we have to come up with to a conclusion. But I feel like this was a kind of to and fro where maybe I was convincing you uh that subtext has a place in cinema and you were trying to convince me that yeah. subtext is completely pointless. Uh, where do you think we lie on that battle? That I think, I mean, I agree with you that I think subtext is important, and I like subtext. Um, I just think that sometimes a film is just a film, and what it's about is the things that happen in the film, and you don't need to pretend it's about the potato famine, because it's not. Um, uh, the Wizard of Oz is about the potato some, there famine. There are some films. There are some films that we've watched, like The Thing, I mean, we're doing subtext, and I've got to pick a film that's the best film with subtext. When you said to me that's about uh, the AIDS panic in the 80s, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. That's really good. It made me enjoy the film more. Then you said it was about communism, and I was like, well, you can't, you can't have both. It's, that's ruined it for me. But I'll allow them the AIDS thing. So, so would I be right in saying that your, your answer for what is the best movie to have a hidden meaning is the thing, but only yeah. if we're talking about AIDS and not about communism. Yes, because the question was, what film is the best film to have a hidden meaning, not what is the best film with lots of different hidden meanings? It's got one hidden meaning, and the hidden meaning is AIDS. <laughs> <and> that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's our answer, then. That's, that's a good answer. Thanks, Rich. Uh, are you happy to stick around to play our little mini-game uh, at the no, end? see you later. <laughs> Yeah, no, I will. What we do every week is we ask our guests to tell us one of their favourite actors uh, and we'll just work out what is the best character that they've played 
to help you out in certain situations. So which uh, which actor have you chosen this week? I have chosen uh, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right, scenario one. Uh, who is the best Philip Seymour Hoffman character to help you cook a secret dinner for your girlfriend? So your girlfriend's coming home late. He's going to cook it for you, but then he's going to leave so you can pretend that you cooked it. I can't remember the name of the guy, but the one that he plays in The Hunger Games, he seems pretty together. He seems like he's he worldly wise. He would have quite a few skills. He's quite organised. Yeah. Remember rightly, John Hunger and Games. John Hunger Games. That's the guy. And there's there's a lot of food in that bit in the district that he lives in. They've got nice food, if I remember rightly, because they eat loads of it and then they take a pill that makes them throw up, so they can eat more of it. Um, yeah, that's right. So, so he'd be, he knows his way him around, and I'd get a couple of the pills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of the vomit pills as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I'd hide them in the food. <laughs> a little prank. <laughs> so, scenario two. Uh, which Philip Seymour Hoffman character would be best to help you train in a Rocky-esque fight? I think maybe the most the most fun one. I don't think he'd be the best, but the uh, whoever he plays in Along Came Polly, which, <laughs> for the record, I think is probably his best ever performance. I think that guy would be a lot... He'd have some really off-the-wall advice, but because it's a character from a film, it would end up somehow working. Like, some of the weird <laughs> stuff that he'd said would sound terrible, like take a, like a kernel of wisdom from it and be able to beat Adonis Creed. It does mean that you are, in your scenario, training to beat Creed. So you're getting the montage as the villain in order to overcome the hero. <laughs> Is that how you view yourself? <laughs> yeah, apparently so, yeah. That was the subtext of my answer is that I am the villain in this film. Um, I think, I mean, it would be a, a version of Creed where his opponent is quite a skinny white man in his early 30s being trained by a schlubby New York actor. Uh, it would be it would be a real... We gave you this chance to fight the champ. We assumed you'd at least hire someone to train you who had some knowledge of, of boxing. In my defence, I was told specifically it had to be a Philip Seymour Hoffman character. What did you want me to do? These were the rules that we signed up to. These were the terms. All right, so uh, scenario three, which is the best Philip Seymour Hoffman character to teach your children about the birds and the bees? You've gone away, but you found out that your you, your kids need to know about you know the, the wonder of life uh, and how, how it happens. Uh, bad film, but he is a doctor. So Patch Adams. <laughs> Wait, I think he's a doctor in Patch Adams, isn't he? Yeah. What did you What did you think of Patch Adams? I actually don't. I don't mind Patch Adams. I think it was uh, a lot of vitriol was thrown out that didn't deserve. Yeah, I really, I really, really liked Patch Adams. I watched it when I was young and I loved it, and then sort of grew up to realise that um, ev- almost everybody thinks it's absolutely. It's like a sort of a punchline film that people go, "Oh, it's so bad." It's like. Patch Adams. Um, I really enjoyed it, which is why now, whenever I watch a film, I don't work out what I think about it until I go home and read a review, and then I'm like, yes, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> oh, I didn't like that film now, it turns out. I was going to yeah. say it was the greatest that film. film but... I just enjoyed. No, no, no. Turns out, terrible. But I can confirm that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Mitch in Patch Adams, and he is a doctor. So that's... Uh, there we go. That's a pretty good one there. And finally... 
Which Philip Seymour Hoffman character would be best to help you if you're being chased by the killer from Scream? Ghostface. Oh. That's a good one. Um, he's, I mean, he's not, he's not a fast guy, is he? In, in really any of his films. Um, no, so you're thinking maybe in terms of leave him as bait, you know, because you can, you can run faster than most Philip Seymour Hoffman characters, I'd suggest. Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, I think, I think maybe the, um, the guy that he plays in, is it the talented Mr. Ripley? Um, he's because he's he's really sort of lazy and layabout and like really cool and uh, too cool for everything. So I think if he was being chased by a killer, he'd come up with like a a witty put down, and I'd have that time to sprint. And I've been being trained by this character from the other films. <laughs> so I'd be quite quick, and I'd be able to get away. Um, and what's the name of the killer? Scream. Is he called Scream or is Scream <laughs> Ghostface? Uh, Scream's just the name of the film, wasn't it? It's Ghostface. J- Jeff Ghostface. Jeff Ghostface would get uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's talented Mr. Ripley character, kill him, and that would buy me some time to get away. All right, just because I know people are probably screaming uh, at the podcast on public transport, as they do any of our listeners, you could have had his character from Mission Impossible 3, who is like an international terrorist uh, with a lot of dangerous oh. henchmen behind him. But we are going oh, with... Oh, right. Didn't we, <laughs> did we get the... We are going with the talented Mr. Ripley guy who is just cannon fodder. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's how I choose to use him. I wouldn't... If he's an international terrorist, I'm not trusting him to have my back. True. He could be Ghostface. He could be Ghostface. <laughs> yeah. Or Ghostface is an allegory for his obesity, which is chasing him. <laughs> It's, it's it's just as it's his dietitian calling him. <laughs> Please, seriously, pick up the phone because we need to talk, Philip. This isn't a film. Stop running. <laughs> All right, so Richard, thank you uh, very much for jumping on the pod. Have you got anything that you want to push or promote? Uh, just sort of me uh, in general, I guess. <laughs> um, Everyone just love I'm Richard's podding. Just if you can go on board with what I'm doing, that'd be handy. Um, no, nothing specific. I've got some some shows coming up, but um, I can't remember them off the top of my head. But if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter a bit, then you'll be able to find out if you want to come and see them. And there will be no subtext whatsoever. What I tell you the show's about is what the show's about. Don't worry. Is it about the Vietnam War? It's about the Vietnam War, yeah. That's why it's <laughs> called Rich Sporting, the Vietnam War, my story. <laughs> How can people find you on Twitter and Instagram? What are your handles? Uh, Rich Spalding Eleven on Instagram and at Spalding Rich on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is just Richard Spalding. Add me as a friend. I'll probably accept. <laughs> um, <laughs> I live at. <laughs> Please do cut that bit out because that's my genuine yeah. address. All right, Rich. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, thank you for all the best me. here. I hope you just live a great life, yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you again before one of us dies. No. No. All right. Love you. Bye. Bye. Don't do what Sid did, where he pulled out K-19, the Widowmaker, for Harrison Ford, and then he took a shit in ours and didn't flush. So, awful guest.